You are now listening to the Soul and Wonder podcast, episode 31, Navigating Self-Awareness and Beliefs with J.P. Sears. Welcome to the Soul and Wonder podcast, where the conduits of the body, depths of the mind, and atlas of the soul are explored with devotion. Through cultural exchange, Christopher and Sarah and their guests will deliver sacred wisdom from around the globe uncovering the hidden gems of conscious living and holistic healing, all to empower you on your journey of self-discovery. And now, here are your hosts, Christopher and Sarah. Welcome to the Soul and Wonder podcast, you lovely human beings. We are your hosts, Sarah and Christopher. What is up, everybody? Happy to have you here, as usual, and I think you're really going to like this interview we just had with J.P. Sears. Yeah, J.P.'s a great guy. Really had an awesome conversation, and he's just very down-to-earth, genuine, sincere, but also brings a little bit of a comedic twist, which is really refreshing. In fact, most of you probably know who he is based off of his ultra-spiritual comedy series on YouTube. Very, very funny. Highly recommend it. Definitely. Check it out. So let's give you a little bit of rundown on JP. JP is an emotional healing coach, YouTuber, author, international teacher, speaker at events, world traveler, and curious student of life. His work empowers people to live more meaningful lives, and he's also the author of How to Be Ultra-Spiritual. Great book. Get it. Highly recommend it. He is very active with his online videos where he encourages healing and growth through his humorous and entertainingly informative videos, as I'd mentioned before, his ultra-spiritual comedy series, which has accumulated over 100 million views. That's a lot. But... Before we get into this juicy conversation with JP all about life, spirituality, this new age thing that we got going on, and consciousness, everything, emotional, healing, everything. It's loaded. It's loaded. We want you to go to our website and download our Fresh Start ebook. Yeah. It's free. It's a good one. And... You know, I know it's really hard for some people and it's very overwhelming for a lot of people to navigate this world of health and wellness. And I know there's so many people that come to us and say, man, I really want to get healthy, but I just don't know where to start. I really, you know, we keep it simple. We want to make sure that it's simple enough for you to follow. It's a good jump off point for you. And that we do have other freebies on the website you can check out, but start with that. See how you feel. Uh, and again, please reach out, reach out, contact us, Let send us, us an email, any questions you have, and we'd be happy, happy to answer them. We will be starting a new YouTube series coming up here soon. Um, we're going to be doing more educational videos on health and wellness, but also giving you some more transparency moments into Sarah and I's life. Yeah. So you can see what goes on behind the scenes. Mm. <laughs> so Once again, enjoy this interview. Stay tuned to the end to get your health tip of the episode, which is on... Go to cola. Fancy, huh? Sounds fancy. I will see you guys at the end. Enjoy. (laughs) 
And we are back, ladies and gentlemen, now with J.P. Sears. J.P., thanks for coming on the show. Yay! Well, I appreciate you guys having me. I'm super happy to be here with you guys. You sound super happy. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's a wonderful facade that I wear, and I think the facade it, it exudes happiness very well because I actually am happy, <laughs> I think, based on what I can tell. That Costa Rican air is getting to your head. Yeah, it, it really does have a... And a beautiful way of melting away the daily like pressure I normally put on myself that is like so unnecessary, but I tend to just somehow fall into that trap naturally. Right. So yeah, it's I don't know if it's the heat of Costa Rica that melts that away, <laughs> the vibration of the place. I don't know, but it is it's feels good to be here. Now, are you in the rainforest or are you by the ocean? Yeah, uh, both kind of. Uh, so it's very jungle-like environment and right on the ocean and Manuel Antonio. Love that place. I lived there yeah. for about a month. Not at oh, Manuel. you did? Yeah, I was studying Spanish abroad in college and we went to Manuel Antonio for just a weekend and it was beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Some of the most beautiful beaches I've ever seen. And I love lush landscapes of like the, the hills the mountains the jungle the green it's just it feeds me can't makes, beat it oh yeah it makes us feel alive all the fruit yeah absolutely so you know jp i gotta bring this up mm. as as the icebreaker in this interview <laughs> i'm already afraid Drum roll. <laughs> so the first the this is how we came across your person your being was when a uh, vegan friend of mine posted your if meat eaters acted like vegans video from your ultra spiritual life series on your youtube channel on my facebook page now first listeners if you have yet to see this hilarious video i highly recommend pausing this podcast episode scooting on over to youtube type that in if meat eaters acted like vegans and give it a listen and join us so I am a fellow vegan, and I, mm -hmm. when I, oof, with my friend, of course, and my husband is as well, and when we watched the video, immediately I was confused. I was like, wait a minute, this guy, <laughs> I was like, this guy's got to be vegan. Oh, wait, no, he's not vegan. He's definitely not vegan. Oh, he's so making fun of meat eaters. Wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute, he's so making fun of vegans. And then I loved it because I realized at least my interpretation, which is open for discussion, but mm -hmm. I realized that there was this, your ability to poke fun at both sides of the story was really shining this light on the divide between the two groups. And I, I saw that divide with the comment sections of meat eaters <laughs> Uh, <laughs> those comments, man. <laughs> oh, it's a, it was a mutiny in that comment <laughs> section for sure. You started World War Three with your YouTube video, but it was you know meat eaters were bashing the vegans and vegans were bashing the meat eaters and. Yeah. Both sides seem to think that only the vegans were being targeted. And I thought that was funny because I was like, wait a minute, because I see some jokes here for both sides. And yeah. um, I, that immediately, I, I really respected that. And so I started watching more of your ultra spiritual videos, of course, laughing my ass off. And 
I, I came across your website after that, and I must say that I was very surprised because the only the way that I had found out who you were was through your ultra spiritual content. Mm -hmm. And your ultra spiritual content is known to be satirical and humorous, but you also have this sincere down to earth side of you as well as an emotional healing coach. And that that was a really pleasant surprise. So I just kind of wanted to open up with that, like how we discovered you and, mm. you know, the when did you start creating these funny videos, by the way? Yeah, well, one, thank you for the the, the framework of how you guys discovered me. I, I love that. And I, I about two and a half years ago is when I started creating the comedy videos. Mm, OK, and you've been an emotional healing coach for quite some time. Yeah, that's been rolling along for about. Ooh, uh, 15 years or so. And ultimately, the what I view as the purpose of any of my work, whether it's a sincere, heartfelt one-on-one uh, -on -one session with a client, or it's a comedy video, the purpose of my work is to, in my opinion, the heart and soul of my work is to help people uh, uh, heal and live more meaningful lives. And I think self-awareness is one of those ingredients and and i like to look at my videos as like the deeper underlying intention is to create more self-awareness uh hide uh you know shine a light on some of the hiding spots where we lose ourselves where we become unself-aware where you know we might be swallowed up by our own dogma our own judgments our own self-righteousness and uh, I like to shine the light on that so that we can see the person living beneath these human conditions of self-righteousness and judgment. And, uh, you know, I think when we uh, now I'm getting into a dissertation, but I think when we are, are you know, judgmental and self-righteous, as I think all people are, the question is, how do we express it? But when we misdirect it, when we repress it, then chaos happens. Then we I think we can lose ourselves. Then we can become what would appear to be the self-righteous vegan or the self-righteous meat eater. So a video like that, it's not about vegans. It's not about meat eaters. It's about shining the light on self-righteous, uh, indignant behavior that is part of the human condition. So like my girlfriend, she's a vegan. And I'm like, yay, vegan. Uh, but also, I don't care if she's a vegan. I love her for being her. And if someone, you know, be, be a vegan or meat eater, if someone's acting self-righteous, that's not anything to do with being a vegan or mm -hmm. nothing to do with being a meat eater. It's having to do with you being self-righteous. And I think when we misdirect it and try to hide behind an altruistic hiding spot, like, oh, I'm a vegan and that's what I'm being, or I'm spiritual, that's what I'm being. It's like, no, you, you might have spiritual practices. You might have a vegan eating practice. But if you are being self-righteous, we need to take a look at that and become transparent and vulnerable with it and more authentic with it rather than trying to hide it behind noble looking hiding spots that ultimately cause a lot of misdirected expression of that human psychological energy. So long story short, videos like that, uh, my intention is to help people become more self-aware of what they're in denial of. I like that a lot. And I think it's so important to add that spice of humor to it because you know what? we we're floating on this tiny little rock through a galaxy, you know, come on, let's get a hold of yeah. ourselves for a second. You know, yeah. 
when and you bring up such a good point because it's so easy for every single one of us to get wrapped up in that and to forget and to think you know we become so passionate about the things that we hold true to our hearts and hold dear to us that there comes a point where you you just kind of like go down the wormhole and you it's hard to look at things from an objective perspective especially when it comes to yourself and you know chris and i were all about you know personal development we're constantly we're the mirror for each other to look at the weaknesses and strengths within ourselves and constantly challenging each other to grow well, actually challenging us within ourselves to grow, not even challenging each other, if that makes sense. And it's, it's such a process that never stops. And I think when people find these dogmas or beliefs that they cling to so tightly, they forget that they're still a fluid creature (laughs) that that changes and morphs. And I don't know, I I think that's a really refreshing perspective that you bring to the table. Yeah, I love what you said. I think the growth, you know, how much growth we have to do is like, it's limitless. And I apologize for the dogs barking. I guess it's just our, nature doing its thing. Invite them on the podcast. Our, dog, <laughs> our dogs will probably start barking too at some point. <laughs> but you know, if, if we have really infinite growth to encounter or potential uh, to encounter, sometimes we forget that infinity is bigger than we think it is. And I think having the uh, kind of the old Zen beginner's mindset with uh, everything is a good idea. And I think we, at least I need reminders of that because we can, we can say, yeah, it makes a lot of sense that it's a journey, not a destination, but then we live as though it's a destination. Mm -hmm. We kind of like, yeah, I'm spiritual. So it's like, yeah, I'm kind of done. I'm spiritual. I'm a vegan. I'm done. I'm yogi. I'm done. Uh, I'm a CrossFitter. I'm done. But to realize like, yeah, no matter where we've arrived to, we're still a beginner and we need to humble ourselves into that. So I think having someone call us out on our dogma that is really, in my opinion, psychological scar tissue that creates comfort, but also restriction. Having someone call us out on that is very therapeutic, not necessarily comfortable because it means we leave the cocoon of our comfort zone that's created from our psychological scar tissue that is our dogma. And I, uh, how I go about that, if I can pretend I do such a thing, is using like the, the samurai sword of satire to help slice mm-hmm. through that psychological scar tissue. I think the, the comedy sword of satire, especially satire, it's got a blade to it. Mm. It's got a sharp edge. It's not dulled slapstick comedy where you can have an IQ of 15 and like laugh where it just let's look at what's there, but exaggerate it. But to me, satire is let's look at the unseen that's there. Let's see what isn't seen, but is there. So to me, there's a a relative intelligence that's evoked in the viewer through satire. In other words, it's like an intelligence that causes us to see something about ourselves that's gone unseen for a Mm -hmm. while, but it's there. Hence, it gets revealed when we slice through the cocoon we've built through our dogma that covers it up. And you're right. It's so uncomfortable, but it's so necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, we're we're weird creatures. I think <laughs> we we ide- we become self-identified with a lot of things that we're not, mm-hmm. and that might be a belief system, it might be a role, and and when we hear something 
that's very therapeutic, but not comfortable, but that's something that slices through what we're not. It can be very uncomfortable because it's like we're scared to death. Mm-hmm. You know, wh- when you show me what I think I am, but I'm actually bigger than that and I'm not the thing that I think I am, it's scary. It's like, wow, we're losing who we think we are. It's like we're, we feel like we're dying, even though it's actually helping us be born into a deeper reality of ourself. But nonetheless, like, yeah, of course, it's scary and uncomfortable to feel like we're dying when we lose identification with mm-hmm. what we think we are. And those uncomfortable moments, it, it's it's so crucial. They're to, essential. Yeah, to push those yeah. boundaries to test yourself and re-examine. And we're, we're all about, uh, as soon as we get comfortable, I swear, we only spend a few days in it. Next, next thing you know, we're uncomfortable. <laughs> Back to isolation again. and examining ourselves. <laughs> yeah, and to me, that you guys have the the equation for a successful meaningful life and you know successful not at all just in terms of outer achievements it's mm-hmm. kind of like i almost don't care if outer achievement is there but inner fulfillment for me is the hugest part of success so the equation that i heard you guys just spell out for a a meaningful successful life is seek discomfort to me, that's the mantra of our self-realization instincts, go towards discomfort. Mm-hmm. Whereas the mantra of our self-preservation instinct says, avoid discomfort. And I think the, if when we become a slave where we're just worshiping our self-preservation instinct that says, move away from things that are uncomfortable, painful, or unknown, we'll, we'll potentially have a comfortable life for a while, but it'll feel like a very empty, shallow life after a while. But being the, the hero on our journey where we are the arch- archetypal warrior who, we, yeah, we feel afraid at times, yet we go into the discomfort anyway, rather than being afraid to feel the fear of the discomfort, and therefore we avoid it. But, so I think like if there was only one if there could only be one ingredient for a successful life, I think it is embrace discomfort. Couldn't agree with you more on that one. I love it. And you know what? Going into the unknown, you know, it's scary. You know, I was scared shitless. Many times I've done this. (laughs) And, you know, those are the times that I've personally grown the most and just felt um, so much achievement out of that. And, uh, you know, Sarah and I always use the example, but we both, we had met when we were in Africa serving in the Peace Corps and leaving a comfy corporate job, making Mm. thousands of dollars a year, going to school for a master's degree and climbing the corporate ladder. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but for myself, it wasn't fitting. And for me, I wasn't fulfilling uh, my passion and letting my heart sing. So I decided to up and leave and sell everything and just move halfway across the world for two years. And uh, it was the best decision you, I've and, ever made. And you broke down crying in your little house in the little village. Oh my God. You had this realization <laughs> that like, oh my God, I have left everything comfortable. <laughs> Wow. Physically and metaphorically, of course. But yeah, that that's that's amazing. And I like the realness of it where yeah, you broke down crying. Of course it was hopefully horrendously scary and painful because that's how meaningful it is. So, you know, I, I think it's it's one thing to glorify embracing discomfort. And honestly, that's, I think, deservedly so. There's a lot of glory, freedom, growth, and uh, a bliss that comes from embracing discomfort. Mm-hmm. And 
there's a reason why most people don't do it. It's because there's a lot of consequences. It means that you're going to feel, you're going to go through the dark forest <laughs> for sure. That's... So I love that realness that, yeah, you were in the dark forest, even though it was very medicinal. For you. Well, it, you know, and I, I sat there, uh, you know, when I first got to my house and I had two chairs and one table and a little, uh, <laughs> called Jiko in Swahili, a little, little. cook stove. Mm-hmm. And I sat there and looked in this empty house. I can hear my voice echo through this like concrete concrete uh, it was it was falling apart the termites were infested in the ceiling and i probably cried my eyes out for like in a good hour and a half two hours it's like what oh, the awesome. hell did i just do it's, it's, it's such a release though at the same time you know and uh we i mean our listeners have heard this story so we won't continue to elaborate but um you know you're 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 an emotional coach right and you've been doing this for a long time what got you interested in coaching emotional healing you know i needed a lot of emotional healing <laughs> and i was too arrogant to acknowledge that so i honestly i projected my need for healing onto other people so that meant i had the desire and the passion to start helping other people heal themselves mm-hmm. which was cool that was like life tricking me into myself it's like <laughs> okay jp's too arrogant to acknowledge he needs help in healing so let's let him think that he's passionate about helping other people because that will be the the gluten-free breadcrumb that gets him yeah to the next breadcrumb which is his own healing so when I started working with and learning and studying from very wise people, because they were wise people, they realized you have to embody what you're trying to teach. You have to embody what you're trying to help other people do. So, of course, our own healing was very much part of the learning curriculum. So once I got into that, it was very humbling. I'm just realizing like, wow. I had zero idea how emotionally disconnected I've been for most of my life. Zero idea of how emotionally weak I've been. And I made up this story that I'm really strong emotionally because I never cry. But now I look at that like, wow, yeah, the reason why I didn't (laughs) cry for six years is because I was not emotionally strong, but emotionally weak, Mm. uh, disguised as invulnerable. I think invulnerability is incredibly weak. I think being vulnerable, being able to cry, like you have mentioned, Chris, is a beautiful sign of strength. It really is. I think it takes a lot of strength and a lot of courage to feel as weak as we do when we are broken down crying. So long story short, I'm screwed up. And that's what <laughs> that's what got me interested in into the uh, realm of helping people help themselves. Isn't that funny how that works? I, uh, I got my life coaching certification with this amazing um, life coach. And shout out to Dr. Bronze. And one of the things he taught us in the beginning, he was like, you're going to learn so much about your own self through your clients. Just make sure you separate it until after the call. (laughs) Then you realize how much you you learn from people going through their own emotional healing or, you know, building their dreams, reaching their goals. And it's you couldn't you you really hit the nail on the head there you know i i i have to say that i have that same mentality like oh yeah i can help heal so many people and then I'm, you you just start to realize like wow i am screwed up 
Yeah, there's no question. The more you, the more you know, the more you understand that you don't know. It's like the more I learn about myself, the more I come to know how much I don't know about myself. Mm -hmm. And it's very humbling. I don't think it needs to be shaming. Like, oh wow, there's so much about me that's that needs work. It's like, yeah, and that's great. Like, that's all potential. It really is. And uh, yeah, I, I love your perspective about your clients are wonderful teachers for you and this that no like separate until after the session. And I, I've been blessed to work with thousands of clients over the years. And, and when people ask me like, oh, GP, where'd you learn your call it my emotional coaching craft? Certainly some of it has been through the hundreds of hours of like kind of classroom and practical training, but I mean, so much of it has been experiential where my clients are there not only teaching me about the craft of coaching, but teaching me about me where I don't care what their literal life experience is at some level, be it literal or symbolic, I have had my version of their experience. Mm -hmm. And if I listen to what they say, I will, if I listen deeply, I'll hear the story about me that this miraculous mirror has shown up to teach me. So it is just, I mean, such a, a privilege getting to work with people one-on-one. It's, it's like the, the university of life education, in my opinion. Oh yeah. It really proves the interdependent facet of humanity we can we're not we're not separate we just aren't yeah and i think it's really important to touch on you know going back to when we were talking about the emotions and not um letting yourself come to the point of crying or breaking down and i and this is something we had touched on in our last episode with one of uh, an amazing woman Lori kosser and talking about the societal pressures for men to have this tough guy facade and mm. to not embrace the feminine side of his personality because we are both feminine and masculine but yet yeah. we as a society only drive to one area of being as men you need to be masculine tough and strong and not show any emotion at all and i think that's completely wrong and we need to flip that upside down well chris what i think i'm hearing you say is real men don't cry mm-hmm. did, did i get the moral of your story correct <laughs> that's it <laughs> yeah you know i amen brother i i love what you said I remember a time I was five years old and my family, my mother, father and sister had just lived with my grandparents my, on my father's side for a year and a half because our, our family's new house was being built. Construction took a while. My grandparents had the space to live with us. So we did for a year and a half. So the night we were moving out after a year and a half of living together, I went to hug my grandfather goodbye. I mean, like we were moving 15 minutes away, but it was still like, well, we're moving out. So this is like a big deal. So I went to hug him goodbye and he didn't let me hug him. He he pushed me away and said, real men don't hug. They shake hands. Mm. And like, holy crap, like I believe that. That made an impression on me. I mean, that was, I mean, God love my grandfather, rest in peace, so grateful for him. All those disclaimers, yet he... (laughs) here's my actual unsugarcoated point. I think that was a very immature, wounded little boy psychology who's very afraid of intimacy and therefore had lived about 89 years of disconnection 
in order to protect himself from his fears of connection. So, you know, to to try to reinforce his uh, protection mechanism of disconnection, that's what he taught my father. And that's what my father taught me. And that's what my grandfather taught me. What a re- really, you boil it down, what I learned was a real man is someone who's disconnected. And it's like, holy cow, I believed that for a long time. And and it cost me. And so it's like, wow, I got to, there, there's a lot to unlearn there. There is a lot to uh, uh, then bring in and learn. And to me, I, I'm in a major phase of my life where connection is my priority. Uh, connecting with my girlfriend, connecting with the people who matter most is my priority. And one of the reasons why it's a priority is because there's a lot of richness of life that comes through connection. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's like, I'm learning that for the first time. That that's one of the reasons why I've got to prioritize it. Like, I don't know how to do it. And how, got to learn it. How fortunate to break that cycle too. If you were to procreate, which I don't know if you have or haven't. Such but... a <laughs> sterile term, procreate. You mean have sex and then have a child accidentally or on purpose? <laughs> you covered it there. <laughs> you know, if, if at least you have that um, that that leg up where you can say, you know, I'm not going to continue this cycle because I've learned yeah. it. I'm learning it and will continue to learn it within myself and not pass that limiting belief onto your own children. Well, the thing is, too, children are they absorb everything they absorb they're very vulnerable and especially at that age they're they're going to be you know looking up to your grandfather your mother your father your teachers your friends whatever and these are things that when things are told to us and certain information is delivered to us you know we have to be very careful on how that information is delivered to our children because again they will absorb this information and take this to heart and um, bury this within their subconscious yeah yeah, and I think, you know, I don't have children uh, yet. However, you know, being around children and having allegedly been one myself at, at some point, <laughs> I think what, where children learn the least is when we're telling them lessons. But I think where and when children learn the most is when they witness our embodied actions. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's one thing to preach to the children, yeah, connection and love is wonderful, but if one or both parents are embodying and living a disconnected state that is different than the spoken message, then that is that is what's going to leave the impression on the child. There's a reason why there's a saying that says talk is cheap. And I know that saying is talk itself, therefore the saying is cheap if the <laughs> saying is uh, true. So I, I think all of us as you know, bringers of life to children or sending examples to people around us, even if we don't have children, uh, to me, it's a wake-up call to be reminded. It's our embodied action that is the real teacher, not so much what we say. Very well said. So important. Couldn't agree more. So you've recently published your book, How to Be Ultra Spiritual, 12 and a Half Steps to Spiritual Superiority. (laughs) I love it. I got to say, I haven't finished the book yet, but what I've read so far is brilliant. It's got the voice of your ultra spiritual content for sure. Um, so what, what's the mission of this book? What did you want to do when you wrote this book? What did, what's the message you wanted to uh, deliver? 
Yeah, a couple things. Uh, one of the intentions of the book is to entertain people, give people laughs. I don't think anybody's ever been to their doctor and their doctor says, you need to laugh less. <laughs> uh, harmful for your health, how playful you are. So oh, giving people laughs and entertainment is certainly one intention. And then uh, the, the, the deeper intentions is for the comedy to deliver uh, messages of uh, self-awareness, uh, deliver messages where we're advocated to take a look at what has served us well in life that no longer serves us. Mm. So we can be challenged to let that go. Uh, also the message of advocating that we become more unapologetically true to ourselves. Mm. And then if I were rounding that out, I would add one more to it. Uh, the intention is to uh, help us wake up to how we're looking for happiness where it's not. So we can begin looking for happiness where it is, uh, all while hopefully having some laughs and a good time. It's it's such an in-depth book, and I can see how it's multifaceted, and um, it's not just the superficial, you know, comedic air to it. It's it's so much more than that. I'm really looking forward to continuing. And I'm curious, what's one of your favorite topics or one of your favorite chapters inside your book that you've written? Yeah, you know... While I was writing it, it was fun how each, you know, when I was working on a given chapter, that was my favorite chapter, mm -hmm. uh, which was like a great blessing. But now in hindsight, you know, it might depend on my mood, but I think the, the plant medicine compulsion chapter is one that uh, I registers pretty close as my favorite. Tell, tell us about it. <laughs> so yeah, the plant medicine compulsion chapter, the the in the new age culture, which I'm sure you guys are aware of, uh, enlightenment through plant medicine is a very real component of the spiritual culture present day, and it, and is there great beauty and potential there? Yes, and is there a shadow side? In my opinion, yes, yep. and I. And I think because the plant medicine uh, pursuit of our culture is it's so new, it's, it's so new to the Western mind that we're in a very immature phase of it. Mm -hmm. So we're because we're in a very immature phase of it, we, for the most part, are very unaware of the shadow side of it. We, we have a lot of naivety in how we approach it. So I've seen a lot of what I would call predatory shamanism, where there's psychological violations and sometimes sexual violations in the plant medicine community. And to me, it, it, it needs a light shined on it. Uh, a lot of people keep the shadow side a secret, either because one, they're not aware of it, or two, when they see like really BS behavior, violating behavior happening, they they don't speak out about it because they might trick themselves into saying, well, no, we were doing something sacred. Therefore, like, you know, I, my interpretation of that being like a predatory being that no, I must be wrong because we were doing something sacred. So I, I think we need to realize any shaman, whether they're a real shaman or they're just someone who calls themselves a shaman they are a human being mm -hmm. and all humans have human egos. So I, nonetheless, I'm really passionate about representing, you know, the people rather than having people potentially victimized by what's not being spoken about. And I do believe just because we're using something that we call sacred doesn't mean we're using it in a sacred way. 
in addition to the predatory aspects of it, I do believe there's also a lot of very addictive behavior that surrounds uh, plant medicine use. And, and some would say, usually the ones who are very addicted to it would say, well, there's no addictive chemical properties to it. Mm-hmm. You, you can't get addicted to it. Well, yeah, same with gambling. And people are so addicted to gambling. Mm-hmm. There's no chemical addiction to gambling. It's all our psychological as well as endogenous chemical addiction that we uh, create while we're using a substance uh, or behavior, whether it's gambling or plant medicine. So I have a lot of respect for the the power of it, the potential of it. My beautiful girlfriend does a lot of work uh, with ayahuasca. And uh, there is a shadow side that I think needs some checks and balances on. So I think because I feel so passionate about it, that's one of the reasons why the plant medicine compulsion chapter is one of my favorites. And it was also fun to just sort of uh, uh, slice through and skewer some of the what I would uh, call the uh, the dogmas mm-hmm. uh, within the the plant medicine community. Well, I'm so glad that you brought that up because we spent some time in Iquitos, Peru, which is like the hub of people going, one of the hubs for people to go and uh, do ayahuasca and some other sure. plant medicines. And you can see people flocking there by the, the dozens, the boatloads, you know, of people just roaming the streets and trying to find a shaman and things like that. And it's, um, it's a very real thing of what you're talking about and what you mentioned. And I think it's important for people to one, if they're going to seek out this experience, to be very aware of both sides of the coin, that it's mm-hmm. not all uh, sunshine and flowers. And then not only the shadow side of the shamans, but also facing the deep shadow side of the self, because that is a very, very real thing and something that Sarah and I both have experienced uh, with that realm. It, and it, yeah. You know, I think it's hard for some people to admit that something that they care so deeply about has a shadow side and this this extends not only to the plant medicine you know spiritual community whatever you want to call it but outwards as well you know you get so passionate about it that you don't want to see that maybe there's a danger or um darkness and i think that's unrealistic to assume that something that's light doesn't have a darkness because it what's the cliche saying you can't have what darkness without the light or vice versa yeah well welcome to the relative world (laughs) you're one of us and i i I love what you said and personally i think a great uh sort of exercise of empowerment is when we take a look at what's most important to us and even the things that have worked the best for us and consider what is the shadow side. Mm-hmm. I think when we're blind to the shadow side, there's a decent chance we're consumed by it. And it's maybe working against us. But when we can be aware of the shadow side, like awesome, the chances of us, of the shadow side working against us, I believe become less mm-hmm. when we're aware of it. But when we're unaware of it, it can be working. We have no awareness. And as Ram Dass once said, you can't get out of the jail that you don't know you're in. <laughs> so I do believe every damn thing, whether we're an ayahuasca advocate, a Tony Robbins advocate, a reading advocate, meditation advocate, we all deserve to ask ourselves the question, what is the shadow side of this practice? And that doesn't mean we're discounting it and making it unimportant to us. No, I think it means we're becoming more respectful of it. We're seeing more of it. Uh, so I, I think we all deserve to ask ourselves those questions. 
Sure. It's just like, you know, confronting the shadow side of yourself. You know, if, it, yeah. if you don't bring, if you don't ask yourself the question, you're never going to dive deeper and uncover what is repressed. And you're never going to see how that's affecting you, you know, in the conscious waking state. And it's, yeah. it's so liberating once you're willing to kind of dive into that. And once again, it's uncomfortable, but how how wonderful to know that you you have control over your personal development in that sense that you can choose the speed you can choose the the rate how much you you're willing to dive into but yeah i think i think that's that's a really interesting perspective i'm excited to get to that chapter <laughs> <laughs> well you'll know you're in that chapter because i think it's the first page of the chapter you'll see a picture of me with vomit all over my shirt <laughs> so you'll know you're there <laughs> That's wonderful. All too familiar so with that. So charming. <laughs> so what has been the biggest thing that you've learned about yourself while read while writing this book? Uh, I think to to surrender and rely on the creative inspiration that comes through me, like wherever that comes from. I what I mean, I would call it like a source greater than myself, but surrendering into that and realizing uh, it's a deep well. It's maybe got infinite depth to it. So that was a big lesson. The writing of the book was a big rite of passage for me into you know this lesson, to be honest mm -hmm. with you. A lesson of let the creativity come through me. There's an infinite well of it. My job is to be curious about what wants to be written rather than me having to think up what wants to be written. And given that to me the book was a win it was beyond purposeful before anybody else read it mm -hmm. and even if like every copy of it was burned and digitally erased and nobody ever saw it it would have totally been worth writing it because of the the personal journey it took me on uh, to write it and uh, one other lesson which is a, a little bit synonymous but it, it maybe deserves its own words is follow my heart, mm -hmm. not my head. The, and boy, do I need constant reminders of that. But when, when the idea of the book project was put on the table, my heart said yes. And my mind was saying no, uh, you know, my mind was like, well, I don't know how I can't write. I'm not a writer. I've mm -hmm. never written anything, but my heart was saying, yeah, this feels like a yes. So Learning to trust my heart more and more, which is certainly a part of surrender, was another lesson. The idea there is re-realizing re my heart never misleads me. It doesn't necessarily take me where I want to go, where I think I'm going to go, where I expect to go, but it always takes me to uh, a very purposeful place, usually way more purposeful than what I could have imagined. Speaking of surrender, have you read the surrender experiment? I have not. I think I've heard that title, but I uh, who wrote that? Uh, Michael, he wrote the Untethered Soul. I don't know if you've read that either. Okay, that that's okay. That's why it's striking a chord of familiarity. But no, I haven't read either of those books, but I've definitely heard of them. Yeah, they're both very, uh, very good. And, and the Surrender Experiment really touches on uh, the power of surrender and how just letting your life unfold um, according to the flow of the universe, so to say, and how that. Um, you know, can really just enhance your life and just take you to places that you never thought were possible. 
Very nice. I man, that is a very scary concept to my ego, but very liberating to my heart for sure. I think uh, you'll definitely speak for many on that one. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one. So, so if our listeners are interested in connecting with you, uh, where can they find you, JP? Well, right now I'm on my girlfriend's porch in Costa Rica. <laughs> so, you know, crawl through the jungle, say hey. But uh, <laughs> unless you want to do that, uh, social media is a great place. Facebook and YouTube, I'm always posting videos there. Um, and then the other social media channels I'm on as well. But uh, Awaken with JP is my handle for all my social media. So that's a great place and I love to connect with uh, people. Great, so you know, you, you've provided a lot of really um, deep spiritual insight on this on this episode. I think uh, people are gonna be really happy to hear, you know, the inner workings of JP, especially if they've only ever seen your ultra spiritual videos. Mm. But if you could provide our listeners with one last bit of wisdom, of, of any kind of words of advice for people who might be listening and might be a little, I don't know, lost on this, you know, new age spiritual movement. As you said, we're kind of new to this in this Western world. And because of that, we've reached a lot of naivete and various topics regarding it. What would be your last little bit of guidance or advice or words? Yeah, uh, it would be have your have beliefs, but don't believe your beliefs. Mm. I think certainty is very soothing for the ego. It makes us feel safe and in control, and it always misleads us. I think when we can have a curious mindset, it means one, we're embracing uncertainty, which is kind of scary, but two, it allows us to go beyond the limits of our finite capacity to be certain about something. I think Certainty has zero correlation to truth. It only has correlation with our need to feel safe and in control. So, and I think ourselves are the best uh, landscape for the certainty versus curiosity practice. So if we can even take a look at who we think we are, and instead of being delusionally certain about it, can we become curious about who we really are? And let it be an open-ended question rather than a closed statement of certainty of a story about who we are. So I, I think we're all, you know, none of us are as big as we think. I think we're bigger than we can think. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, curiosity becomes, uh, it makes us the student of our own life rather than the closed-minded uh, uh, I don't know, close-minded something about our life. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah, man. Mm. It was such a great, it was a great time and it was a pleasure talking to you. I really enjoyed this conversation a lot. Oh, me too. Chris and Sarah, you guys are rock stars. And I really appreciate you having me on. Thanks for coming on the show, JP. For sure. Another one in the books. Could have kept going. Yeah. Could have kept going. Those campfire conversations. I like the Campfire Conversations. Me too. You might want to consider changing the name of the podcast to Campfire Conversations. Oh, what do you guys think about that? Send us an email. Let us know if you're on board. Well, now that we're done with that conversation, we would like to talk about the health tip of the episode. Ding, 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 ding. As we mentioned in the intro, we said that we'd be talking about GoToCola. What the hell is GoToCola? Say it 10 times fast. Go to cola, go to cola, go to cola. I can't do it. Now you got three, right? <laughs> no. 
Anyways, go-to cola is a fantastic herb for those looking to sharpen the mind. So you want to boost your memory? Do you want to... Enhance your meditation? Enhance your meditation? You want more mental clarity? Go-to cola is your answer. Go-to cola has been around for centuries and has been used all over the world. Um, but something that I highly recommend using for those of you that want some power. Ooh. So to talk a little bit more about what Go-To Cola does, Go-To Cola is very good at stimula stimulating growth of new brain cells. So this is the number one reason why you have so many mental benefits from taking Go-To Cola. And it protects the brain from toxins and oxidative stress. Doesn't that sound nice? Sounds wonderful. It'll even help you sleep better. You know that we all need that. That's right. And it may help with Alzheimer's. Um, there, I don't know how many studies have been done on that, but um, since it does enhance the mind, it will definitely help with other aspects. So how to get go-to cola. See, this is, the, this is the issue in the herbal world. Working in the herbal world, I'm very familiar with this. There's a lot of companies selling go-to cola, but how do we trust, you know, X company versus Y company versus Z company? Which one is better? I know that's always a topic of concern. I know it's always an issue when you go into a health food store and you are overwhelmed. I know it can be quite difficult. Well, well, well. We only use a select um, group of herbs from certain companies. And one company that we are very fond of is Dr. Morris's herbs. M-O-R-S-E. Now he has a health club. We have joined the health club and we are working on becoming a wholesale uh, for his herbal supplements, which are top notch, top of the line. You really can't beat it you can't get better than it oh yeah. you notice it too very quickly <laughs> i and this is a person that spends has spent a lot of money and i won't go into how much on supplements over the years he definitely went down the rabbit hole with the supplements I, I had to say something at some point but it was necessary because i was able to test and try out different supplements and i found out that a majority if not I would say about 98% of them don't really work that well at all. And you have to remember with herbal supplements, it takes time. It takes mm -hmm. a good 30 to 60 days to, for you to really notice a difference. And if you really want to notice a difference, it's super important to be eating clean. Mm -hmm. That all plays a role and that herbs and clean eating work in conjunction with each other. But with that being said, if you would like if you're interested in, in a brain tonic that has go-to cola in it and many other beneficial herbs, let me know and I can see what I can do to work something out to uh, get those for you. Um, but in the meantime, any other questions, please reach out to us and we would be happy to answer. Absolutely. Thanks for just sticking around with us, guys. Take care.